Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast. I'm Jennifer Jelliff Russell, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, bringing you actionable ideas and interviews with awesome women to help you pursue your dreams and achieve your goals. You can find more episodes of the Go Find Out Podcast by visiting gofindoutpodcast.com. Enjoy the show and go find out. Welcome to the Go Find Out Podcast, episode number 16. I'm your host, Jennifer Jelliff Russell. On today's show, I interview Janet Lloyd about her journey of getting into rock climbing and how that led her to start a company that was approached by REI for the chalk bags that she makes for climbers. Jen discusses what climbing means to her and how she's found a deep sense of community among her climbing friends. In my personal update, I'll talk about the happenings on the farm, how I tried to scare myself by reading a book about the pandemic, and what I'm reading now that's helping me find the motivation to keep plugging away at current projects. All right, on to my personal update. So my husband and I just organized and managed a small farmer's market for a little town of about 250 people. We kept it to less than 10 vendors and were able to maintain social distancing since it was an outside event. And even though our town is made up of 250 people, we maybe had, I don't know, maybe 25 people who came out to support the farmer's market. I felt like it was a really successful event. Since it's been a tough year for vendors, um, we made the booth fee only $5, which all went toward a fund for renovating our town hall. It was actually a really fun event, and we actually plan to do another one in about two weeks before things start shutting down for the winter up here in Maine. Um, I know our farm growing season is coming to an end, and you know next year we hope to extend the season with our greenhouse, but we really aren't set up for that quite yet. As much as I look forward to having more time to dedicate to writing books and creating this podcast, it's kind of also a little bit depressing to think that I won't be able to wander around the garden pretty soon as we enter fall and everything dies in the garden. <laughs> Taking a break from the laptop and getting outside into the garden was definitely a much needed thing as like a break from writing and just staring at the computer screen all day. So I'm really looking for something else to replace that time of getting out in the garden. So I'm looking to replace it with something else over the winter. Kind of randomly, I'm thinking about getting into wood burning. I don't know. Well, we'll see. I am currently 50,000 words into the third book of the Artemis Necklace series, which is exciting. And I've decided to go back and actually republish a book of Halloween short stories for kids that are ages 9 to 14. I wrote it several years ago, and it was kind of fun to reread it as I was editing them. I kind of forgot how much I like writing for kids. So I think my next book project is going back and editing a book that I wrote for the middle grade crowd. It's actually set after a zombie apocalypse because, you know, that's fun. Um, and is um, about the journey of a brother and sister to find their father in this sort of post-zombie apocalypse. It's kind of a fun, fun read. Um, I had fun writing it, so I'm excited to go back and really edit it, change the storyline just a little bit, and try to get that published next year. So this pandemic has definitely had me thinking and reading about, you know, world-changing events. I did make the mistake of reading the book Station Eleven, which is about a worldwide pandemic that has a very high transmission, um, a high death rate, and very similar symptoms as this current real-world pandemic. It's by Emily St. John Mandel, and it was a really, really good book. I really enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, but the parts where characters live through the pandemic at its height, they were a little intense for right now. They definitely stressed me out. Um, so probably not the best choice for reading right now, but maybe in the future, you might check that out. I thought it was really good. It's a little bit different genre that I'm used to reading. I have recently switched to reading Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass Every Day. 
It's a bit different than her other books in that it's not set up to really read like cover to cover in one sitting. It's really more designed for you to read a chapter each day to help you stay motivated. I have really found that it's been helpful for me to read when I don't feel inspired enough to like sit my butt down in the chair for a writing session. One passage that I found particularly useful was a visualization technique where you think about your goals and what it would look like basically for future you if you were to accomplish those goals. You know, what what would that look like? What would your day look like? What would you wear? What would your morning routine be? That kind of thing. And then actually living in that way that you're picturing your future as. And so for me, you know, I visualized what it would look like if I were to have an active speaking gig coming up or, you know, a book release, like an author's gig, anything like that, where I would be like getting up and speaking in front of people. You know, what would that look like? Um, So that's kind of what I thought of. And I treated my day as if I was getting ready for that. So I, you know, got up, I got into my routine of taking a shower and getting fully dressed um, instead of just wearing, you know, jeans and a flannel shirt, jeans and a t-shirt. I, you know, put on nice clothes, um, you know, so like slacks and a really nice blouse. And I have to say, it really did motivate me to be a lot more productive that day. So I found that exercise to be really, really useful. Though I will admit, dressing up and working in the garden is maybe, maybe not so smart. So hey, you know, if you see a lady dressed to the nines out working in a field in Maine, you'll know it's me. (laughs) But you know, enough about me, listeners. I would really love to hear what is motivating you these days. What is helping you get through these difficult times? You can tweet me at GFO Podcast, or you can reach out to me on the Go Find Out Podcast Facebook page and let me know. I would love to hear from you. All right, let's get to the interview with the awesome Jen Lloyd. Today I'm here with experienced rock climber Jen Lloyd, who also started a business, Knox Mountain Bags, out of her off-grid home in Vermont, creating chalk bags for climbers. Welcome to the show, Jen. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. I actually just bought, you do more than just chalk bags, I just bought a face mask from your website too. Yeah. So yeah, the chalk bag business kind of slowed down a bit when all the climbing gyms closed with coronavirus, um, kind of pivoted mm. a little bit to making face masks. I've got so two little sewing studios in my house. So I was all set up to, to sew things. So yeah, started making face masks and pretty busy. <laughs> well, and they're super cute. So if anybody's looking for a face mask, we'll, t- we'll tell you where you can um, go to find those later on. But let's kind of jump back to the, the rock climate aspect. Can you, before we even jump into that, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Jen? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much a northern New Englander. Uh, I was born in Bangor, Maine, lived there for about the first 10 years of my life, then spent probably 10 years in southern New Hampshire, went to high school down there, um, and then moved to Vermont after that and have pretty much been there uh, up until now. <laughs> and did you did you go to school up there? Um, I did not. I, I didn't continue education after high school. Kind of a, a little bit of a self-taught person. I kind of figure things out on my own usually. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's sometimes the better way to do it just because when you are passionate about something, then you're more likely to get more information right then about it. You know, if you're like, oh, I need to figure out how do I start a business, right? So then you're like Googling, how do I start a business? Totally, yeah. So now you're a pretty experienced rock climber now. When did you actually first get into rock climbing? I've been climbing for probably about 19 years. Um, My first date with my husband actually was the first time that I ever went rock climbing. So he introduced me to it and I was immediately 
addicted. Yeah, it's just like such fun movement. And I think it came a little bit naturally to me because I had always been in trees as a kid, climbing trees. So some of that muscle memory seemed to kind of translate over into rock climbing. Um, And I had always wanted to try it and just, you know, didn't really know how to get into it or where to start. So having a friend take me out was, was great and really just took to it right away and never stopped. Yeah, totally passionate and kind of addicted. (laughs) (laughs) And so was that first date, like was that first rock climbing experience, was it pretty easy or do you know what I mean to like introduce you to it or did he like throw you in the deep end on that first date? Um, We tried uh, the grade of the route that we first, the first route that I climbed was probably a little bit difficult for a beginner, but you know, I got up it. There's the rope was you know up to the t- the anchor at the top of the cliff so i was had all the safety systems in place so it wasn't dangerous or anything but it was challenging movement and really tiring my arms got tired so fast when i um, first started doing it so and so you mentioned that you used to like climb trees and stuff as a kid were you into like other like outdoor activities or even like other mm, like athletic type activities like sports or anything as a kid i played baseball as a kid Pretty much up until the time when, as a girl, they kind of forced me to switch to softball, which I didn't like quite as much. So I, I stopped yeah. doing that once I got a little bit older. But yeah, I was always playing outside, climbing trees, building snow forts. I've also yeah been into snowboarding. I got into snowboarding before rock climbing. So definitely an outdoorsy girl. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so you go on that first date, you enjoy the the climbing. Did you then like just kind of continue climbing with your now husband? Or did you do more climbing on your own? Yeah, for the first few years, my husband was also really into it. And we would all of our free time we spent climbing, we live about an hour from Rumney, New Hampshire. And so we would do day trips over there like three or four times a week. Anytime we had a day off, we were over there climbing. It's really addictive, partly because you can, like the the progression of it is so much fun. Like the grades of the routes, you know, you, you get one move further each time you go and try and you can really see the progress in your body changing and you, you know you're less tired each time and it becomes a little easier the more you try it so really just pulls you in and all you can think about is going back to try that route again and see if you can get a little bit further and then the ultimate goal is to climb all the way from the ground to the anchor without any falling we call it sending which i think is derived from ascending yeah, it's, it's, it's really fun and never, never get tired of it. What would you say that your biggest challenge was when you very first started climbing? Oh, it was probably being able to buy gear. I was so poor when we first started climbing. <laughs> and some of the gear can be kind of expensive. Although the aspect of climbing that we do, it's called sport climbing, which is not like the crazy extreme stuff that you see in Yosemite where it's really tall cliffs. We usually climb shorter routes, single pitch. So you're only climbing like as as far as the rope will let you go up and then back down. So there's a little bit less gear involved in that, but still like, you know, climbing shoes can be $100 or more and you need a harness for that climbing. Um, but you can also get into climbing without a huge investment. And there's, there's bouldering, which really all you need for that is shoes, maybe a chalk bag. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was that was challenging for me. I was working for I think six dollars an hour at uh, an organic vegetable farm when I first started climbing. So not making a lot of money, but but yeah, he I like the passion of it so strong that you you end up making sacrifices to be able to to get the gear that you need to get out and do it. Mm. Um, but yeah, the movement of climbing actually came pretty naturally to me 
I mean, of course, it's it's challenging and can be frustrating. It's like there's a move that you just can't do and you feel and then you can't try the rest of the route because you're kind of stopped by this one section. But I end up going home and visualizing routes and that that actually helps a lot with ultimately figuring out how to do it in the future and you can find your own way to do things. It was actually interesting. I, I'm getting totally off track here. You asked me about um, when I started climbing. So I was climbing with Zach for, for the first couple of years. He was also really into it. But as I got more into it, he got a little bit less into it. And I started climbing more with more women. And that has actually been just such a great environment. It's just such a encouraging and no pressure environment when climbing with other women. It's been really fun. I've taken several trips to some pretty far away places with groups of girls to climb we went I went to Turkey with some girls and to Greece and to Spain so that's another thing that I love about climbing is that it's just such a good avenue for traveling like it's it's a, a mm. reason to go to places that I might not have been drawn to otherwise so I love that about it as well how did you end up meeting these women these other climbers like did you join a, a climbing group or did you just like run into them when you were out climbing with with your husband yeah mostly organically um running into people, friends of friends. I, yeah, in the beginning, I was actually climbing with more men because that's who my husband had been climbing with. So those people were our community in the beginning and then just meeting other people through through those people. So it's, it's, it's really a great network and community, which is another thing that I love about climbing. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so when you kind of first getting into rock climbing and you told your maybe friends or family that you were really passionate about it, did you get any pushback from people who maybe didn't think you should do it? A little bit. I remember my grandfather being really nervous that I was doing it and just, you know, trying to explain all the safety systems and really the the, the sport climbing that I do is, is pretty safe. Like you can cut out a lot of the variables that would make it dangerous. Uh, the most dangerous part about it is, you know, making a mistake. Human error is the, the most common cause of accidents. But and I also think that some people like a lot of people don't really even understand what it is. I remember my dad actually, <laughs> he always kind of pictured me on the side of a mountain rather than on the side of a cliff, you know, like going for a summit or something. Oh. So I don't even know if you really got it, got what I was doing. What would you say that your most difficult climbing experience has been so far? I think like the most difficult thing that I have experienced that was related to climbing was being on scene when a climbing accident happened. Not with somebody in my party, but um, yeah, I was I was in Rumney and heard heard this sound that kind of sickeningly sounded like a person hitting the ground, which it turned out to have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were involved in like the 911 call and, and carrying this woman down to the ambulance. That was definitely challenging, a little bit PTSD inducing, but, yeah. but I actually just recently found out that the woman who was injured that day, who had suffered extreme brain damage and was, had been in a coma for a while, she did end up waking up and um, was able to walk and speak and everything. And I, I had just heard recently that she's actually writing a book about her experience with the whole ordeal. So that was great to hear. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you're going to scare people off of climbing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No. And actually, she wasn't even rock climbing when the accident happened. She ha- she was hiking to climbing. And it was just a complete freak thing that happened. And um, yeah, she. I think she just slipped off the side of the trail and ended up falling down a little embankment, mm. which made the rescue really difficult. Actually, it was a hard, hard to get to 
area, but but yeah, she ended up being fine. Luckily, one of the people that was on the scene at the time happened to be um, an ER doctor. So oh wow, that worked really well. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, the thing that I struggle personally with as a challenge in climbing is just essentially kind of staying brave. Uh, and you can climb without ever having to be in danger. It's um, you can rock climb on top rope, which is where the rope goes you know all the way to the top and then back down so you tie into one end of it and the belayer holds the other end and even if you fall you know you're just gonna kind of sag onto the rope and it catches you right where you are when you're lead climbing you kind of clip gear in um, you clip the rope into gear on the rock as you move up so you always have the possibility of if you're falling like as you've climbed past one piece of gear before you clip the next one you can a little bit of a fall and it's a little exciting but it's generally very safe if you know how to fall correctly and your belayer knows what they're doing on the other end of the ropes but even still knowing how safe it is it can sometimes be a little intimidating to to know that you might take a little fall and so sometimes yeah sometimes there's a little bit of a mental barrier there even if it's it's not entirely logical because you know it's actually safe but yeah it's just like that like stomach going into your throat kind of feeling when you fall sometimes. That's mm-hmm. human nature to kind of avoid, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, so it sounds like you sort of have to drum up your bravery for each climb. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, there are phases. Uh, I'll go through phases where I have no fear and then other phases where I'm paralyzed by fear. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's kind of a constant, I, don't, I wouldn't say battle, but yeah, just a, constantly kind of managing and maintaining that. Hmm. And what do you think has helped you to kind of push past that fear, um, you know, when you're suddenly kind of going through those phases of, of feeling that paralyzing fear? Reading, actually, there's so much literature about rock climbing out there and reading about it and just having it like put in perspective by really experienced people can really help sometimes. Hmm. And there's some great instructional books and even just like anecdotal, you know, stories that people have written about about climbing that can kind of help get you psyched up. And then part of it is just getting out and climbing. The more you do it, you know, the more falls you take, the less scary they become. It's usually like in the springtime, I'll have to drum my bravery up a little bit more than than later on in the season when I've been, you know, falling. And when you're lead climbing, it, you know, you're, if you're not falling, you're not trying hard enough is something that they say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be failing a little bit to be to keep pushing yourself further. Are there any things that you can do? So you mentioned visualization um, to kind of get past the difficult or trickier sections of a climb. Is there anything else that you can do in between climbs or that you do in between climbs to like help prepare your body or your mind for the next climb? Uh, Yeah, I actually just do some like general kind of core strength training. I mean, I'm really not a trainer. I don't, some people really will like train for climbing and there are things that you can do. Some people love the training for climbing more than the climbing itself even um, but I'm just generally pretty active I like to do a lot of other things I backcountry ski and snowboard and mountain bike and surf a little bit and all of those things are pretty great cross training actually hmm. and then I also work at a climbing gym in um, Essex Vermont a little bit setting roots which um, I don't know if you've ever been to a climbing gym you saw the colorful holds all over the wall mm-hmm. the root setters like attach hold to the wall and basically create routes for people to climb so you can you know make certain moves and make it like easier or harder which is really fun it's kind of like putting together a little puzzle 
and it's actually wonderful cross training for climbing because you're you know hauling heavy buckets full of holds up the wall and hanging out and trying out all the moves so so that's actually really helpful for me to keep in shape but i would say that like you don't need to be an athlete to get into rock climbing like any anybody can get into climbing there's so many climbing gyms around and most of them offer guiding services so yeah that that doesn't need to be a barrier either that you can always find qualified instruction and then once you know it doesn't take much you don't have to sign up for a three-month-long class or anything just learn the basics and how to keep yourself safe climbing gyms make it very accessible too and and there's such a great community of people that go so regularly you'll find yourself with a group of climbing friends in no time. <laughs> so what would you say is your favorite aspect of climbing? I, I love that it is physical activity that is fun, basically. Mm. Um, I, like I have friends that don't climb that, you know, go into the gym to lift weights or whatever. And that just sounds so boring to me. And they have to force themselves to go do it. Like, oh, I've got to go get my workout in. I, like something that they have to do. And climbing is so the opposite of that. Like you're arranging the rest of your life to make time to go <laughs> climbing because it's all you want to do. Uh, so I, I really love that. It's just, yeah, you can get exercise without feeling like you're going to get exercise. It's just, it's just the most fun thing. And do you have like a favorite piece of gear or a specific item of clothing that you love for climbing? Um, I don't actually. <laughs> I gonna, I, <laughs> no, you're not going to plug your your chalk bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The chalk bags are actually nice because um, they're like, well, one of the things I love most about sewing and making things out of fabric is choosing the prints on the fabric. So the chalk bags mm. are actually fun. They're like kind of a personalized little part of the climbing gear, whereas like the harnesses, you know, like most of the women I know, we all have the same harness and we most, a lot of us mm. have the same shoes. And so it's a little bit more individual with the chalk bags. And I think I have like 160 different fabrics that I use on them right now or something. Oh my gosh. Lots of choices. Yeah. So, which is just a product of me not being able to narrow it down to fewer choices either. Cause there's so many great fabrics. So do you find yourself um, when you do go for a climb, you're like, Oh, which, which chalk bag should I use? Which pattern am I feeling this time? <laughs> Well, I actually just have one that I use. Like I, I have the huge variety that I sell on the website, but I usually mm. just ha use one that I'll use for a couple of years and then maybe give myself a new one after. <laughs> actually, the last time I got gave myself a new chalk bag, it was because I, um, the one that I had been using, my sister was starting to get into climbing a little bit. So I had given her my previous chalk bag. So I gave myself a new one. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's hard to choose. There's... <laughs> So many fabrics so it's hard to be like which one do i want to be mine and is this uh is this sister annie who got into climbing yeah yeah it was Annie. i had her on the show a couple episodes ago about tattooing nice <laughs> looking forward to hearing it so i've also heard through the grapevine that you had some interest from a big name outdoor store who wanted to carry your line of chalk bags can you tell me a little bit about that and like what that was like yeah that was it was really exciting actually when I first got the email um kind of felt like I had arrived a little bit you know yeah. and it seemed like a like I would be crazy to turn down this offer like how you know how could I how could I not want my product that I've been making to be in a national retail outdoor retail store but the more I thought about it um you know I I didn't really start this business to become a big 
company. I really mm-hmm. kind of just started it so that I could have a flexible job mm. so that I'd have more time to go climbing. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'll just climb during the day and I'll sew all night. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't, I, I didn't want to be managing people. So I didn't want to be, you know, hiring people or anything like that. I just wanted to have free time and flexibility. And I love sewing and I love climbing. So it all kind of really came together like that. So thinking about you know, selling large amounts of chalk bag at a wholesale price and then sort of just competing with myself. You know, if if my bags had been in this store, uh, you know, people would be finding them there and purchasing them there instead of from me. Mm. So, yeah, it just didn't really make sense in the end and wasn't it, it, it helped me to realize that that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go because, I mean, I didn't really even start this with any kind of grand plan. I was just just needed to make some money. I had been working, I worked for 10 years on an organic vegetable farm that had kind of, it was a bit of a strange scenario. It was a nonprofit organization that owned the farm and they were having financial difficulties and the farm ended up um, shutting down. So I was kind of stuck wondering what I was going to do and just figuring it out. And I didn't originally start making chalk bags. I started making tote bags and purses and wallets and diaper bags and things like that. I started out selling at the farmer's market and I opened an Etsy shop and I, you know, I had decent sales. I was doing pretty well, but I was still, it was still pretty part-time. I was working also part-time as a nanny to kind of supplement income. Yeah. Then my friend liked one of the fabrics, asked if I would make him a chalk bag out of it. And so I made a, you know, I made a prototype and made him his bag and it came out pretty well. So I was like, oh, I've got all these kind of smaller pieces of fabric. I could just experiment. I'll list a few of these on Etsy and see how it goes. And as soon as I started selling chalk bags on Etsy, that was kind of when my Etsy shop started to become successful. That's before I would have like two sales a week or something. And then it was kind of like two a day. Oh, it got really exciting. And I was kind of, I could kind of see into the future like, huh, I remember saying to, to my mom, like, I could kind of see just doing these at some point in the future which is ultimately what happened. I kind of phased out all the other products that were, took a lot more fabric, a lot more space to make, you know, storing larger pieces of fabric. The chalk bags are nice and small and easy. So for my tiny little home studio, it, it made sense and really liked making them and they were selling better than anything else. So I probably had the business for I don't know, maybe like three or four years before I actually even started making the chalk bags. But um, yeah, for the past, five it's been just chalk bags i haven't i I don't even make any of the other things anymore um although now i now the masks oh yeah that's right the masks yeah like just making one item over and over again seems like it would get really old but um i think just like all the different fabrics kind of keep it interesting i don't have the creative process of like designing a diaper bag you know like the all the pockets and where things are going to go and making the pattern and the template for that but um uh, I'm a little bit of a robot sometimes when I'm making chalk bags I can kind of do it with my eyes closed it's like just I don't know it's satisfying and I like it so I haven't actually been missing the design part of it since I've just been doing this so Mm. far if you're able to kind of do it without really thinking about it do you find it's almost like a meditative kind of thing when you're like sewing and creating the, the next chalk bag it is actually, yeah. I do a lot of thinking while I'm sewing, definitely, because I don't have to think about what I'm doing. My hands are just kind of moving on their own. So, yeah, lots of lots of introspection. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, what would you say has been kind of the most challenging part of operating your business? Um, 
So all of the things that a business requires outside of actually making the product like marketing and building my website was really, really challenging for me because I have no experience in anything mm-hmm. like that. And it was definitely kind of frustrating in the beginning, but it's also sort of how I operate. And the internet makes learning anything so much easier now. Right. So yeah, I just kind of, you know, felt my way through the process. And I used Squarespace to make my website, which makes it a little bit easier. Some mm-hmm. of the, you, you know, website templates can be huge um it's probably even easier now than when i did it i think i've had the website for maybe six years or something Mm -hmm. that was really that was probably the most challenging thing and now i'm kind of in a position where i should probably be doing some more marketing but it's kind of daunting and i'm not really somebody that hires people to help me with these types of things i usually just kind of try to figure out how to do it on my own Mm -hmm. yeah that that's been tricky um, yeah, I think, I think that's been the hardest, the hardest part of it. Do you feel that you have any like habits that have helped you to really like crush your climbing or your business goals? With my business, I think the key for me is staying organized. I have a extremely organized uh, workspace, which I love mm-hmm. and it inspires me to, to work kind of like when your kitchen's messy, you don't feel like cooking anything, you know? <laughs> Uh, so when my space is like looking really good, sometimes I just like to stand there and look at my, my workspace. I kind of love it in there <laughs> and it's all nice and organized and all like the beautiful colors of fabric are all laid out. I think that that really helps me be productive when I, when I feel organized and I like, even to the point of like having my inventory all nicely cataloged on a spreadsheet. Um, yeah, that, that kind of makes it all a little bit easier. Hmm. You mentioned before, you know, that sometimes you have to kind of drum up your bravery when you go through those phases of being afraid of climbing. And a lot of people might just not climb again if they experience that fear of climbing. Sounds like one of your positive personality traits is that you are willing to like push through fear. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes. Although it's it's also really nice, like the, you know, the community of, of friends that I have, like we all kind of go through these mm. things, especially the women that I that I climb with. We all have our days when we're just not feeling brave. Mm-hmm. And usually one or the other of us can kind of pick up the slack and they'll put the rope up and then you can just top rope that day and, you know, just make sure your muscles are feeling it. And um, it doesn't always have to be a head game. Some days your friends can let you off the hook and you can just, just do the physical part of it without having to, to face the mental part that day. Mm. So, yeah, it's really... It's really nice. We you know, kind of have each other's back. And some days, like, you'll be doing a, a lead climb and one section just feels too hard that day or too scary that day. And one of the other girls will jump in and finish it. And then you can try it with the rope up afterward. And, and usually by the next time you come back, you're, yeah. For me, actually, um, failure can be a, a huge catalyst to try harder or be braver the next time I go out. Um, like if I if I go out and have a bad day, I'll go home and really it'll kind of help me to extra psych myself up for the next time. Hmm, okay, so it really sounds like your climbing community really helps you to kind of keep going out. Do you, do you think that you would still climb if you didn't have that community? I'm in so deep now. I definitely <laughs> would for sure. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, if I moved to the middle of nowhere with no other people and there were rocks to climb, I would 
find a way to climb them. Gotcha. But the community is definitely a huge part of it. And again, if if I were to somehow be completely relocated in an entirely new place, I would feel totally confident that I would quickly have a new climbing community because it just brings people together like that the shared passion yeah I would just I would end up with new new climbing friends so Mm. (laughs) it's a great way to travel a great way to meet people um connect with people Mm. so okay yeah it's a nice um kind of linchpin in for so many things nice and what do you think that you would have missed out on had you not gotten into climbing I think the community is probably the biggest thing and then you know like Physical fitness, as I was saying before, like it, you don't have to force yourself to go to the gym. It's like you're trying to arrange your whole life to make more time to go climbing or to, to the climbing gym. So it's really kind of almost just a byproduct. So I, I really like what climbing does for my physical fitness. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, all of the friends and community. And then, you know, my, my climbing friends, I now have actually a group of women that I'm going mountain biking with regularly during the week. And they originally, a couple of them started out as climbing friends, but they're kind of, you know, a little bit more adventure minded people. So we end up like trying out new things together and yeah, community and the, the, the fitness part of it are really the biggest draws for me, I think. And I'm guessing that outdoor climbing probably hasn't been as affected as indoor climbing will have been by COVID-19. Actually, though, um, at the beginning of all the lockdown stuff, a lot of the outdoor climbing areas were even closed. I think like the place in Rumney where we go most often, uh, they had completely closed that down for several months. I think they only just reopened at the beginning of July. Um, and I, I think they were a little bit worried about the organizations that, you know, would be in charge. I mean, the, the Forest Service is involved in Rumney because it's a national forest land, I think. Um, but they were worried about everybody touching the same holds, you know, like when you're on a climb, like everyone's touching the same parts of the rock. Right. That's the, the easiest way to get up there. So they were kind of worried about transmission that way. And also just like, you know, people traveling up from cities to go to these smaller communities and potentially bringing disease with them. But now, yeah, now that it's back open, it's actually been great because I've you know, you're, you're able to still spend time with your friends because it's outdoors and there's plenty of ventilation. And I haven't been going into the climbing gym so much. But yeah, it's been nice to have that outdoor venue to get together with people this summer. Nice. So where, where can people actually find you online? So my website is knoxmountainbags.com. Okay. Um, it can either be mountain spelled out or MTN, not K-N-O-X-M-T-N bags.com is my website. I have an Etsy shop, but I would encourage people to go to the website before that one. That's also Knox Mountain Bags, just with the MTN. And um, my Instagram is at Knox MTN Bags. Got it. And right now you have um, chalk bags, like we talked about, but then you also have face masks. So you don't have to be a climber, guys, to uh, go on and purchase something from Jen. In fact, I actually just ordered a super cool looking face mask. It took me a while, actually, because there were so many fun patterns that I was like, I don't know which one I want. Um, so, so, you know, you could, get, uh, you could get a couple of different ones and switch them out, guys. What I thought was really cool about your face masks, by the way, was that you could put like they have a pouch where you can like slide in a filter. Yeah. Yeah. When I actually first started making those, I was making them for 
several friends that are nurses mm. and working in hospitals. So I was making them for them. So it was very important to have that, that filter pocket in there. And then I kind of just liked how those ones fit more than some of the like accordion the ones that have kind of like the pleats on the sides. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just stuck, stuck with that design, even though it's a little bit uh, a little bit more involved of a sewing project. But yeah. Yeah, they're super cool and super affordable. So definitely check them out, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jen. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. There were so many great things that Jen talked about in this interview today. And while I know that we obviously focused on climbing, I do feel that a lot of what she said also applies to other areas of life. For example, you know, Jen said that a challenging aspect for her with climbing is just staying brave. That sometimes she experiences fear before a climb and other times she'll go through a period where she's not afraid to climb at all. I think that that's applicable to a lot more than just climbing, right? Or, you know, applicable to more than just things that put you in peril. Um, For me, I used to experience that sort of fear with competitive acting in high school. Forensics, for any of you forensics nerds out there. Um, I used to be terrified while I would watch other competitors, you know, do their thing. And I would have like butterflies in my stomach. I wouldn't even be able to eat breakfast in the morning before a competition. But then when it was my turn to get up in front of the judges, the butterflies would just disappear and I would throw myself into the material. Now I experience that same thing right before I do a guest interview or before I start, you know, writing a new book. Even though I know that failure in these activities isn't fatal or even really at all physically threatening, um, I sometimes find myself afraid to do them for fear of failure. The biggest thing that I took away from speaking with Jen about that topic was that the only way to get over that fear is to just push through it and do the thing that you're afraid of. But sometimes we run into things that we can't push through on our own, and that's when it can be really good to fall back on the help of our community, you know, our family or a counselor or a coach, depending on the situation. I absolutely talk with my husband when I'm stuck with something or I'm afraid to move forward with something because I know he'll come at it from a different perspective and his suggestions might help me push through my own fears. Then again, sometimes his military background makes his advice a little bit blunt. One of his favorite sayings is, you know, but did you die? And so maybe that's not quite what I need necessarily in that moment. Um, So sometimes I chat with friends or family for other, you know, gentler advice. Another thing that I really wanted to point out and that I must constantly remind myself of is that Jen said that she'd been in business for three to four years before she started making the product that became her main seller, those cloth bags for rock climbers. Three to four years before she landed on that main product idea that she's really just focusing on now. If you have any kind of business or entrepreneurial endeavor, this is a really important point to remember. There's a saying that overnight success takes years. Because we only hear about people when they hit that success mark, we think they must have started their business or created that product or wrote that one book and bam, they're a big hit right? But the truth is that the vast majority of people who run a successful business or who have become successful in reaching whatever goal they have did so because they chipped away at that goal day after day. It's not literally an overnight success. That's why I think it's so important to go after the things that you're passionate about because sometimes the only thing that will keep you going when you're not immediately successful will be your passion for that thing. Take this podcast, for example. It's not a terribly niche topic. In fact, my guests are all over the place with what they've accomplished, which means I'm not going to grow my listener base very quickly because it's not niche. But 
It also means that I get to talk to someone about a different topic every week. And I love doing that, you guys. It is so much fun to talk to so many awesome, badass women who are doing so many different, really awesome things. And I know I said awesome twice, but I don't care because it's true. They are awesome. That passion that I have for, you know, digging in and really learning about other women's passions and other women's goals and how they accomplish them and, you know, how they got through difficult times, you know, that sort of interest in that topic, that's actually what really keeps me going when I'm under, you know, a difficult deadline to get an interview edited for release or if I'm just not feeling motivated that day to get the things done that I need to get done. Really falling back on that passion and remembering, you know, why I'm doing this helps me to keep pushing through. So before you dive into something because you think that it will be an overnight success, make sure to ask yourself if you're willing to be in it for the long run to achieve that success. You know, a lot of people tend to jump into something and when it's not immediately successful, they give up on it. And it's okay to do that. But if it's something that you're really passionate about, then you'll keep hammering away at it until you achieve, you know, whatever bar of success that you've set for yourself. Okay, last thing, because I'm starting to get long-winded on the wrap up here. Um, I was super impressed that Jen turned down the offer from REI, not because she wasn't interested, but because she took a hard look at where she was at and what accepting that offer would mean for her daily routine. I feel like it seems to have become like widely expected and accepted that, you know, you start a company just to sell it, right? Like that's your main goal to start a company, you know, or you start a small company with the expectations to scale up to something that will have tons of employees across multiple locations. But business doesn't have to be that. If your business has that opportunity and that's something that would, you know, really make you happy, then by all means, you know, scale up. That's awesome. But if you look at where your business is at and you're content with how things are, are, then you don't have to actually make that change to your business. You don't have to scale up. It's okay to say no to that. Exponential growth of a company doesn't automatically lead to happiness. All right, I think I've waxed poetic enough for one day, listeners. Um, Join me next week when I interview the badass Gina Wagner, a.k.a. Jackie Bauer, of the Power Through the Fourth Whistle podcast and learn about how she got into roller derby. I know. Doesn't that sound awesome? Um, I just love getting to interview so many badass women. It's just so cool. (laughs) I hope that you guys are looking forward to that interview because I know that I sure did look forward to doing it. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave me a review and let me know what you think of it. It's really encouraging when I hear from listeners about what episode or which guest has had an impact on you. That's it for today. Until next week, listeners, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own Go Find Out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at gfopodcast or follow me on Instagram at gofindoutpodcast. That's it for today. Now go find out. <laughs>